G'day guys, CB here. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Chewing the Fat. I had a great chat with JY today about all things powerlifting. We touched on JY's experiences competing and coaching powerlifters. We touched on my experiences managing injuries in powerlifters. And we revealed the top five best prehab or rehab exercises to keep yourself injury free when training and competing in powerlifting. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you haven't already. And you can find us on Instagram at chewingthefat underscore podcast as well as at CB Physiotherapy and Equinox Performance Society. Hope you enjoy. G'day guys and welcome to Chewing the Fat with CB and JY. I am CB, Chris Bryson. And I'm JY, James Young. Chris, how are you mate? I'm well thanks mate. Always a pleasure to be here with you. How are you mate? I'm looking very swole now that the gyms are back open. Well mate, I've uh, I've just had the pleasure of joining the boys for a quick session before. Uh, Now obviously I get to see you because we don't have to do these on Zoom anymore um, and it's a real treat. Um, you come to my house every time and do them though, so... Um, this isn't your house anymore, mate, it's the Chewing the Fat studio. You're right, you know what, you are right, but I am looking forward to the time when you invite me to your lovely house. I'm still yet to get an invite, and you've been down my side of the, my neck in the woods for nearly two years now, and uh, I still haven't received a single invite, so... Once I trust that our nine-week-old whippet son, I will not be able to bark and bite our feet and be an absolute menace for 45 minutes when we record a podcast, mate, we'll, we'll certainly make that It's funny because you say nine weeks, but uh, nine weeks is not two years, so, mate, I look forward to uh, eventually getting that invite. <laughs> All right, mate, so, big episode today. The topic is powerlifting, which is something that we've both had quite a lot to do with over the last, you know, probably half a decade or so. Um, I want to start with you, mate. You've, uh, you've been... Heavily involved in powerlifting, both as a competitor yourself as well as a coach. Um, talk me through your experiences. Um, so powerlifting is something that I got into um, as a coach, first of all, or sort of as an onlooker um, through work with JPS. So I used to, um, when I first started, um, I'd go along to the competitions. Um, Samuel Skepis was competing pretty heavily at the time, um, and still is, obviously. Um, but at the time, he was sort of just getting into it. And Jacob had started coaching, so I was um, floating around with the two of them, sort of getting a feel of what comps were like. Sam and Jacob being directors at JBS Health and Fitness. Yes, exactly. So I should have, uh, should have said that. But the uh, I think everyone knows the big dogs. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the original sort of um, you know interest for me just came from the, the I guess the community aspect that I uh, noticed with powerlifting. So. I always had in my mind, I was like, one day I'll give it a crack. I'll have a, you know, I'll have a shot at it myself. Um, I coached a few lifters with JPS because um, we had a pretty big influx of people interested in powerlifting. Um, and then um, I ended up competing myself last year under uh, the tutelage. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah, we're all with that. Tutelage. Uh, of Jamie Smith from Melbourne Strength Culture. So, um my uh, my comp did come after having coached a fair few lifters, but um, it was you know it was very interesting to see both sides of the coin of the two. Um, so obviously, yeah, having uh, experienced those, mate, I know that you are the go-to man for uh, powerlifters on both sides of the city uh, as the big kingpin of CV physio. So uh, give us a little uh, insight into your work with powerlifters. 
Well, yeah, I mean, treating powerlifters is something that I've, uh, I've fallen into with my association with both JPS Health and Fitness as well as Three Point Training, which are the two studios that I work out of, um, who, yeah, got some of the best coaches in the industry coaching a hell of a lot of competitive powerlifters. Um, as you said, on, on both sides of Melbourne, it's it's not something I knew a hell of a lot about of. Um, you know, in my younger days, um, it's something that in my professional life, it's, uh, yeah, it's just sort of, I've fallen into it. It's been a massive, massive part and it's actually been really, really enjoyable working closely with powerlifting coaches and, and athletes to, uh, to help them with their injuries. Um, so obviously I want to chat a little bit about you know the different injuries that are, that are really prevalent and the reasons why they're prevalent in powerlifting today and, and the best ways to manage them um, for our clients I suppose because it's something that I've, uh, I've grown yeah, quite fond of, uh, of treating and working with over the last sort of five or six years. Um, I will preface and say I haven't competed myself mate like you. Not yet. Um, but I, uh, I have had the privilege of, uh, of stacking weights and, uh, and spotting for people on the day. So You always are that's the one like, who... That's, that's almost the same isn't it? Pretty much, oh, yeah. It's just it's yeah. that's that's pretty much like the um you know the the emergency in the AFL Premiership team. Mm-hmm. It's totally counted. They're a part mm-hmm. of it. Um, you still wear the jumper after at the uh, you know the ceremony and at crown and yeah. you know all that sort of thing. And I guess today I'm just going to talk about uh, sort of what I've uh, what I've seen um, and experienced in powerlifting both on both sides um, and sort of a little bit of the uh, psychology that I see you know that comes with lifters, both having obviously worked with my own lifters and having trained uh, lifters under uh, JPS. So, mate, uh, take it away, please. Well, um, I suppose the first thing is, I, one of the reasons why I haven't gone down to the competitive side of powerlifting myself and rather stuck on the, uh, the spotting and, and treating side of things is I've always, I suppose, prioritised competing in team sports myself at a, at a mediocre level. And it is, um, it's an individual sport, obviously, powerlifting, um, but it does have quite a big sort of team culture and community vibe as well for a sport that is absolutely individual. I think that's why a lot of people get into it is because they get into these gyms that have these really good cultures of lifting and they you know, they, they love going down and having their hype crew around and having their coach pumping them up and there's this real sort of team, you know, sort of powerlifting culture that, uh, that creates this community that people get really addicted to, which I suppose, you know, isn't something you'd really associate with an individual sport, you know, which is something really unique about it. Mm, absolutely, and a lot of people who are on the outsides who don't know anything about powerlifting. Um, and let's be honest, there are a lot of people. Um, you know, <laughs> my mum and dad, first thing they said when I said that I was giving it a crack was, you know, don't hurt your back. Thought, <laughs> I'll try, I'll try my absolute best. Um, but a lot of people think it is a very solo, you know, um, loner sport, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, however, most people are getting powerlifting, get into it, I feel, from the environment they train in. Um, and gyms like JPS, like Three Point Training, like um, uh, Melbourne Strength Culture, um, Arvia as well, um, the Strength Fortress, there's heaps of fantastic gyms across Melbourne. However, you know, they're not powerlifting gyms per se, they're more a gym where the environment, you know, creates that team and a lot of them then compete in powerlifting. Um, and then when you've got, you know, all these different gyms sort of banding together, um, you actually create some really fun days when people compete. So the meets themselves, everyone kind of knows everyone, everyone's intrigued to see how everyone goes. A lot of people watch them online and, you know, you also, you know, I know personally, I'm always trying to keep on top of, you know, who's um, competing through the year that I know how they're, you know, not how, not how their numbers are going so I can compare it, but like just in general, I'm interested in seeing how these people go. You meet lifters, you, you know, you make friends. It's It ends up being so much more than a solo event. 
And one of the biggest observations I've probably made watching people get into powerlifting from the outside is that, you know, people don't grow up. You don't go down to, you know, if there's no powerlifting, I'll kick as a kid, you know, people don't grow up. As, as kids or as teenagers falling into the sport, they sort of get into the gym and, and sort of almost fall in a lot of the time by accident. And I find it's it's often the people that are going into the gym for one reason, whether it's, you know, for hypertrophy and support on size or whether to lose weight or increase their body composition, general health and fitness or whatever. And then they find that they achieve their aesthetic and their health and fitness goals and they need something else to focus on. And it gives them a performance, you know, um, something else to sort of really target going in the gym where they're chasing numbers and they're looking to build strength, which inadvertently helps them maintain their health and fitness goals. Um, but it's not necessarily what got them there in the first place. And I think, you know, especially for a lot of females, like, you know, people don't associate um, weightlifting, everyone thinks straight away, you know, big bulky men, like, it's, it's, it's probably almost, I don't know, Correct, completely wrong, but from what I see, there's probably more females at a local sort of competition level in Melbourne than males. Um, as I said, I could be wrong with that, but I think for a lot of girls as well, getting into the gym, they get scared of lifting heavy weights because there's still this stigma that females will become big and bulky, and obviously that's completely not true. When girls get in there, they lift weights, they become empowered, they stop focusing on their body composition and all these other things so much, and they focus on performance and strength, and it's super, super empowering for, um, for a lot of these girls. And that's just, yeah, like you said, that's the beautiful part, it's, it's the metrics, it's the ability to sort of um, actually measure your training. Um, you know, if your deadlift's going up, if your body weight's going down, but your squat's maintaining, um, you're making progress. Whereas when we look at sort of physique goals, and let's be honest, 99% of people come into a gym or, you know, I guess from my experience at least, most people start their training or train with me for aesthetic or, you know, physical goals um, or appearance goals. Um, it's never, never really will you get someone who comes to you and goes, hey, I've never trained before, but powerlifting kind of looks cool. Yeah. Like most people who start training don't even really know what powerlifting is. Yeah. And I think that's why powerlifting be- has become so popular because as a lot of people have started to, you know, get two, three years into their training, um, it, it's, it's something that we can use as a measurement. And at the same time, because it is a solo sport, if you want to enter a meet, well, yeah, cool. Like, it's, it's pretty easy to jump in one. It doesn't really matter what you're lifting. When you compete, you're competing pretty much against yourself. You don't know or you don't really care in these amateur comps who's there on the day. It's more about what you do. Again, and that's a really cool thing, I think, for a lot of people to, you know, get a bit of competitive um, or, you know, get into some sort of form of, you know, um, amateur competition without, you know, a lot of, I guess... There's not a lot of prep that has to go into that in like a team environment. There's no pre-season really. And then games every week. It's you have a meet and you train towards the meet. And you're already trained, so your training just gets replaced with training for the comp. Yeah. Absolutely. So as I touched on that, obviously, as a physiotherapist, my biggest role in powerlifting has been managing injuries through powerlifting. Um, and a pretty alarming, I suppose, statistic is that the injury prevalence for powerlifters is reported in the literature to be as high as 87% over a 12-month period, which, to be honest, is not a hell of a lot of, of actual published, published evidence regarding the nature and prevalence, prevalence of powerlifting injuries. However, what we do know is, yeah, that, that is one statistic that has been reported. And like, if you're, if you're going to sort of see that on, on face value and say, well, 9 out of 10 people going into a sport every year are going to get injured, well, people will shit themselves and not do it, right? Um, so it can be quite scary and you know like you said there is that stigma oh you're going to deadlift really heavy don't hurt your back etc etc the nature of, of these injuries that these powerlifters generally sustain though is that they often the vast majority of the time don't actually prevent them from training don't actually prevent lifters from training or competing but they do require alterations to training treatment and potentially rehab so although the prevalence is quite high often the severity is quite low 
Um, the other thing that's probably unique to powerlifting is that the vast majority of injuries that powerlifters get occur during training rather than during competitions. And it's a very unique sport, like you said, in the fact that someone might be training, you know, for three or four months at a time to compete once, which is very different from, you know, your traditional team sports, for example, where you train once or twice during the week, have a game on a Saturday, and you've got that, you know, whole season for a quarter or a half a year. Um, and during training, the nature of training to, to prep for a you know, powerlifting comp like you'll probably touch on a little bit more as a coach mate is, is that training volume is going to be quite high and you're going to accumulate quite a lot of fatigue to push your body to the limits to get those strength adaptations um, which is why if I'm likely injured as a lifter during training rather than during competition where the actual competition like you're doing you know three 1RMs of uh, three different lifts and you're going into that generally after a D-low you're pretty well rested um, you're pretty fresh essentially so um, yeah, the, the nature and the prevalence of injuries, so said, because of those couple of reasons, is, is quite unique. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, nice man. And I think, like with the, like you said there, there's a lot of volume going into the main lifts. Um, that's pretty much that's the aim of powerlifting. Really, is to improve your squat, your bench, and your dead. And unfortunately, that requires well, not unfortunately, but that requires you to be training pretty much just those three movements. And obviously we have accessories that improve those. However, you need to become proficient at these three lifts. And uh, unfortunately on an injury, um, I guess, scale, they are far more fatiguing, both systemically and um, I guess, you know, in general. Um, and therefore probably gonna lead to both, you know, those overuse injuries and then obviously, you know, the, the general sort of things that come with fatigue. Yeah. You can't, you know, we can't just sit there and slam leg extensions, which are a pretty, you know, low fatigue exercise, lots of muscle fatigue, but very, you know, very low general fatigue. Um, and, in, and just think that that's going to improve our squat. We actually have to practice squatting. It's like, it's like jumping on a bike and, you know, well, it's like, it's like not getting on a bike, thinking that if you run a lot, you're going to be fit. Therefore, you're going to be able to, do the Tour de France because you're really fit, but half of the Tour de France is the technique of actually riding a bike. The old specificity principle. Exactly you right. Press, you have to bench press. Exactly right. And that's, um, you know, that that's, could be a good thing. A lot of people love squatting, benching, and deadlifting. And if I was to put a, you know, to, to most, you know, I guess, intermediate trainings, if I was to, you know, uh, I guess, ask them what their favorite exercise was, well, <laughs> Telling you what, a squat or a bench or a dead would probably be one of those exercises. So a lot of people do like powerlifting for that reason because you get to do those exercises a lot. But for some people, you'll never see them, you'll never catch them dead getting into powerlifting because you know those exercises might not be their favourite, or they might be exercises that don't necessarily you know go with their body. Like, sorry, that sounds so general, but some people just aren't built to squat low bar, high bar. Some people aren't meant to deadlift heavy numbers. And I see a lot of people try to fit themselves into powerlifting when maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not the best idea. Because like you said, injury, you know, the injury risk of the training and the overuse injuries is quite high. Yeah, so as you said, the nature of powerlifting is that we need to be doing three exercises all the time because that is the entire sport. Now, those three exercises are all bilateral movements, meaning we're using both sides of our body at one time. And one of the most common causes of injury in powerlifting is that we get either side-to-side imbalances because one side is slightly stronger than the other, and generally an area of weakness is an area where an injury can occur, or we have weakness of the stabilizing muscles which potentially don't get trained because we're constantly using both sides of our body with really powerful movements. Training our global muscles in our prime movers and the local stabilizers can get left behind. 
And these are two of probably the biggest reasons why powerlifters get injured, um, because it is, as I said, bilateral focused, um, rather than unilateral, which means it's a power movement. We don't have that stability there, and this can cause all sorts of issues. Um, the most common ones that we see is probably lower back pain. You can hear the classic deadlift example, deadlifting's bad for your back, etc. It's definitely not, okay? Of course, deadlifting can cause back pain, but it's definitely not bad for your back when done properly. Um, anterior hip pain is another really, really common one. Knee pain and shoulder pain are probably the, the sort of four big areas that people always, um, I tend to find, get injured. Um, and one of the biggest reasons, as I said, is because that focus on bilateral movement. But more so than that is it, there's often this reluctance for people to modify their training and avoid something that's painful when that comes about. So for example, if someone's got hip pain at the depth of a squat and they're a super competitive powerlifter and they've got a meeting in four weeks, well, they're gonna be pretty reluctant to not continue to aggravate that injury, right? Or if someone gets shoulder pain, you know, on a bench press or in a low bar squat position, for example, which requires a hell of a lot of shoulder mobility, once again, if they're, you know, peaking for a comp or they're not too far away or they're hitting big numbers or whatever the case may be, or their coach is really, really pushing them, they're often gonna be reluctant to avoid that movement, okay? And, as I said, it's the nature of the sport is we can't avoid these three big movements, but a pretty you know, general sort of way to manage most, in, most injuries is if something is painful, we need to modify either if we can't avoid that completely, when often we don't need to, we need to at least modify it to reduce our symptoms while we're working on building up the weakness, you know, rehabbing the actual issue, whatever the cause may be. So for the squat and the deadlift and the bench press, I think one of the most important ways to manage injuries in powerlifters for both coaches and athletes is to have, you know, at least a handful of potential modifications for each of these big three lifts that they can throw into a training program to take away that really painful stimulus for someone who is injured. Okay. And a couple of examples are for a squat, for example, like a low bar squat requires a hell of a lot of shoulder mobility compared to a high bar squat. Um, if someone does have a sore shoulder on a low bar squat, well then they can go to a high bar squat and still get a training effect, right? Often people will get lower back pain or hip pain or knee pain at the depths of the squat. Well, you don't always have to be training to full depth. We can be doing either tempos, we can be doing squatting to a box, we can be reducing the depth. Um, you know, while we're working on rehabbing something else, okay? Even a safety bar is another really good Mm. modification for yep. a squat for someone who's got shoulder complaints, um, even upper back complaints, which once again, we can still get enough training stimulus to be progressing forward towards the competition by taking away that part of the movement that may be painful. Um, a deadlift, obviously the, there's two big kinds of deadlifts that we see in competition, a conventional or a sumo deadlift, and these both have their pros and cons, and it completely depends on the anatomy, the biomechanics, the strengths and weaknesses of an individual person. Often people with lower back pain will benefit a lot more from being in a sumo deadlift rather than a conventional deadlift because they've got a much more upright torso angle. Um, however, conversely to that, a lot of people can get adductor issues and hip issues because there's, when they're in a sumo deadlift, because it puts a lot more strain in most parts of their body than a conventional deadlift. So swapping between the two, depending on the person, um, can be a really good one. And then there's things, you know, limiting range of motion or tempo by using block deadlifts, rack pulls, Romanian deadlifts, even a trap bar deadlift. Once again, to take away the things that are going to be really, really painful. Um, and we go to a bench press as well. A lot of people can have lower back issues by trying to really force that arch on the bench press and they might benefit from having their feet up on a bench for a little while. I will preface that by um, saying, not preface, preface is before, mm, afterwards. Before. Don't know what the afterword for you the preface is. follow that up. I'll follow that up by saying, um, it is not dangerous to have a big arch on the back in the bench press. A lot of people, you know, it's one of those stigmas as well on the gym. People say, oh my God, you've got this massive arch, that's so bad for your back. It's actually not if you're gradually building up to it and um, progressively overloading yourself in that position. However, some people do get pain. It doesn't mean it's bad for you. Um, 
a lot of people get shoulder pain with a bench press and changing your grip, either having it closer or wider can be a really big one there. Doing a block press where you're limiting the range of motion or a spotter press is gonna be doing the same thing is a really good one. Um, and also we spoke about that side to side imbalance, whereas if one side is significantly stronger than the other, well, we can go you know, for a, a small period of training to a dumbbell press or a kettlebell press instead of a bench press where we're training those unilateral stabilizers through our shoulders and our upper body a hell of a lot more than we would on a bench press. And you know, these are just a handful of examples. Um, definitely not an extensive list. And um, yeah, as I said, I just think it's really, really important that every lifter and coach alike has you know, a bunch of these options to go to when things go wrong. So we can continue to train, continue to get a training effect without constantly gritting our teeth and pushing through something that may be painful if we are recovering from an injury. Um, yeah, mate, you really did sum it up nicely. I, uh, a couple of points I'll touch on there is pretty much all those things you said before, the knees, the hips, especially the anterior hip, um, backs and the shoulders. I was training for powerlifting for, I think it was only, it was only like 12 months. So it wasn't very long. I only did one comp in that time. We had, you know, um, how many blocks of training? So I can't even tell you how many blocks of training it is, but it's a lot of there's a lot of training in the lead up to that because I was coming from basically having done no strength work and I copped every single one of those. Like I I had issues with all of them and even post comp wanting to do more comps, I was I got to some you know for me obviously let's be honest like yeah. <laughs> I'm a small fish, but compared to uh, the numbers that I started with, I was lifting some really great numbers I was happy with. However, the trade off was that I was constantly sore. Like I I felt pain in every single joint and no that's not normal however the amount of volume i was training with i was pushing myself pretty hard especially on things like deadlifts um and i was finding that the trade-off was that i didn't feel i didn't feel fit i didn't feel very mobile i was stuck doing three lifts um i was getting like i was speaking to you a lot we were you know going through some rehab um or more prehab for uh, little things I was struggling with and it was because of the nature of powerlifting and training with three fatiguing heavily fatiguing exercises I was getting to a point where um, having done five sets of squats the last thing I wanted to do was then do my rehab and even before the squats the rehab into the squats it was just an, an extra effort I almost couldn't feel like does that mean that's the case with everyone no I wasn't obviously the most committed powerlifter and what it was a, more a dabble for me but I wanted to get into footy, I wanted to run. I had to actually stop playing footy because I wanted to do powerlifting or wanted to give powerlifting a crack. So I, I guess it's an important thing for both future lifters, um, current lifters to remember is that the trade-off that you will get in any aspect of fitness is that other aspects will, um, will be neglected slightly. For sure. The fitter you are, you know, let's say you have to let's say you want to run a marathon you want to work um generally through your aerobic system well you're probably going to cop a little bit on the strength side of things mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's the same as if you want to put on weight and you want to build muscle you want to get bigger you're probably not going to feel your fittest mm-hmm. you know what i mean so the lighter you get the weaker you feel and at the end of the day it's not that it's not that we're just going to say now you just have to cop that like there is some Know, element where you can juggle a few things but it's that jack of all trades master of none sort of thing mm-hmm. at the end of the day if you want to be the world's best powerlifter well you probably have to cop being sore and you know struggling with your general mobility and fitness and you're probably not going to be great at a 5k time trial no, but exactly. you know specificity and that's that's the thing like if you got you know 
if we look at some of the... I, I was speaking to someone about like a, a video that I think it was the Brisbane Lions put up and they were showing all the boys in the gym and someone was like, oh, fuck, like, you know, is that all they bench? Like, that's it. And uh, this is a guy who'd been powerlifting for three years. Mm. And I thought, yeah, of course it is because they're AFL footballers. They're not paid to bench press. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it was... Barry Hall used to bench like 180 or some shit. And it's like, could you imagine if that dude was doing powerlifting? Like, the, the guy's strong. But... They're not, you know, there to bench press. Bench press is, a, is an element of their training. The trade-off with the amount of work they do, you know, in, for football is that they're not necessarily going to be the strongest. You know, that's not to say they're not strong, like, on a general scale, but, you know what I mean, fitness and then, you know, anaerobic power is their goal, just like a powerlifter is, is to be strong. I think Fraser Garrick actually bench pressed um, a small village. Um, just, a, just a side note. So some footballs can be absolutely fantastic about <laughs> as well. But yeah, like you said, specificity. Um, you know, <laughs> big big blokes like Barry Oller, Fraser. Yeah, Will Minson. I think Will Minson needs to be pushing off their opponents. Will Minson holds the AFL bench press record. Does he actually? I'm not even kidding. I'm pretty sure it's Will Minson. But then you know, there's these sneaky little tip rat small forwards. So Brent Harvey used to be able to bench 75 kilos. We don't need to be able to do that. Ben Harvey. Brent Harvey used to be out of bench. I think it was twenty-seven reps at hundred kilos. Really? Yeah, he man was like like strong. Okay. Such a little nugget. Mate, he's jacked too. He's arm. Okay, so you can do everything. We just we just gone back at what we said in the last five or ten minutes. You can be a marathon runner, an elite footballer, yeah, and a Can you juggle? Because I can. So. <laughs> can you? Yeah. Can you juggle? Absolutely. Oh, why are we not talking about juggling? If only this was a video podcast. Oh, mate. Um, <laughs> I suppose the, the one other thing, I think mean, it's it's pretty basic, and we've touched on this in previous episodes, but the most important aspect of in injury management for anyone um, is recovery, and that comes back to the SLA principle, which is stimulus recovery adaptation. Now, this is typical for powerlifters, um, and the prime example is for powerlifters, we want an adaptation, and that adaptation is strength because we want to be able to lift more weight. To get that adaptation, we apply stimulus, which is our training that a coach program for someone and that stimulus our training will only turn into an adaptation strength gains if we're recovering in the middle so without recovery either we won't get stronger and we won't adapt as a best case scenario or worst case scenario injury will replace the adaptation and will break down okay so um recovery is so 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 important for literally every single person doing any form of exercise ever but for powerlifters once again it's, it's massive because it's not only for injury prevention but it's for performance um we actually did a podcast last week for those who haven't listened on sleep which as we uh we discussed is the single most important aspect of recovery by far um and having less than eight hours of sleep a night statistics show us increases the risk of injury by nearly two times okay so the op- getting optimal amounts in terms of quality and quantity of sleep for powerlifters is the single most important thing we can be doing away from the gym to make sure that we're recovering properly. Um, the other thing as well that I see, and I suppose the nutrition side of things is definitely more your expertise than mine, but I've seen a lot of powerlifters who are often fighting really, really hard in the weeks or the days leading up to competition to cut weight for that competition. If they're cutting weight and they're in a calorie deficit, they're not taking in the nutrients and the energy, um, you know, calories, carbohydrates, protein that they otherwise normally would be, that can have a massive impact on their recovery. And I've seen a lot of lifters break down in the last couple of days or week or two before when they're trying to cut weight for a competition or if they're not breaking down and getting injured just really struggling with their performance on the day um, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as well mate yeah um, I, I think a lot of powerlifters sort of neglected the nutrition side of things originally it was always the sort of the I guess um, the dogma that it was it was important to like eat up and be big and, you know be the strongest biggest meanest powerlifter you can be um, and then 
obviously over time people sort of looked at like you know getting into weight classes at lower level people like sort of you know do what they can in one weight class and then drop down Conor McGregor style <laughs> um, and like you said they do with that via cutting water or you know doing extremely hard cut at the end but the way I look at nutrition this is sort of how I discuss it with you know every single person um, that I come across nutrition is important for everyone like nutrition is we, we can't escape it it is a factor of life and very similar to flossing your teeth um, or brushing your teeth I should say can you do you brush your teeth you know, seven days straight and then don't brush them for the next 51 weeks. No. Uh, I haven't tried, but I was going to say, I was going to say, you brush your teeth weird anyway. You don't even wear the toothbrush. So, <laughs> being over this Jess Pendlebury can back that up. Um, but the, you know, the same things with nutrition. Like, people always sort of like focus on nutrition in phases. Like, they sort of pop up here when they have a little bit of motivation. Um, and powerlifters are no different. Generally, it's before a comp, that's when they, you know, work out where they are weight wise and can they eat more to, you know, and still stay in the weight class or do they need to cut? You know, you, nutrition should be a 12 month thing. And obviously, we take breaks and we use different uh, techniques to make sure that we can stick to some sort of, uh, I guess, um, structure. But, like, long term you don't want to focus on it for such a small period of time because that's when you do stupid things like decide that you know you need to cut fucking six kilos of water and i've seen it and it's it's not good like it really isn't good um however a lot of good new, uh powerlifting coaches now uh, i think and again i give a lot of credit to jps for this i think they put a lot of work into it and sort of um changing that uh that stigma i think he's the dog before that stigma um, that powerlifting coaches should understand nutrition. Like, it, it, it is one of the most important things. Not only for recovery, like you said, or to, you know, make sure that you're able to train to the best of your abilities, but so you don't do need to do stupid things like cut weight in the last six weeks. Um, and then things like, you know, you, if you want to build muscle, there has to be an impact. There has, sorry, there has to be a focus on nutrition. Like, it, it is very hand-in-hand, chicken and egg. And... If you, you know, if you want to be the best palate you can be, well, having more muscles can help you, you know what I mean? So, at the end of the day, um, I think whether it's your coach, if you, if you are someone listening to this podcast and, you know, you want to get into powerlifting or you are a powerlifter, you know, check, check your nutrition. You know, whether you have a coach or not, like, speak to them or go out and get a nutrition coach. It's a... Uh, it's, it is a really, really important factor when it comes to, um, you know, competing in general. So, What is the difference between stigma and dogma? Have to that I know, man. Like, honestly, I, it's, I have no idea. Now, the last thing that I want to sort of touch on from an injury management point of view is people ask me all the time, what's the best exercise for this? What's the best exercise for that? And 99.99% of times... Um, the answer is it depends because it depends on the person, depends on your strengths and weaknesses and the individual and your biomechanics and your training and a hundred and other factors. However, I was inspired by your top five tips on sleep last week. And I want to give my top five most advisable prehab slash rehab oh, like analysis. So either people that aren't managing injuries or people who just want to avoid getting injured, these are my top five. As I said, this isn't for everyone. It's very rarely a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to injury management. But if we're incorporating these five exercises or something similar, in you know, addition to obviously training the big three lifts, it's going to go go a long way. It's keeping your body really healthy. Okay, um, these are the top five 
in no particular order, but number one is a single leg rise, which for those who aren't familiar with, is essentially a version of a single leg squat where we're standing up and sitting down from a chair. Now, once again, we spoke about powerlifting is such a bilateral dominant sport. We're always squatting on two legs, and I've literally treated powerlifters who can squat 200, 220, 230 kilos um, with the barbell on the back, and we get them to do a single leg squat, and they nearly fall over, okay? Because we, they don't train the stabilizers on one side of their body compared to the other. Um, it's super beneficial in injury prevention, single leg rises. Um, the second one is we need to be keeping our rotator calf muscles very, very strong. Now, for those who aren't aware, our rotator calf are essentially a group of four muscles that come off the back of our shoulder blade, wrap around the front and to the side of the shoulder and they're essentially the stabilizing muscles for the shoulder, okay? Once again, they can get lost in translation a little bit when we're constantly training both sides of the body at one time. Um, a fantastic high-level way to get really, really strong, healthy shoulders and a really strong and stable rotator cuff is by doing a bottoms-up kettlebell overhead press. So as you can imagine, with a kettlebell holding in the bottoms-up position where the bottom of it is essentially facing the roof and doing a single-arm shoulder press where you're going straight up and down to the roof trying to make sure that kettlebell isn't falling over to the side, whacking on the forearm or shaking and wobbling around too much. Um, fantastic high-level shoulder stability exercise for powerlifters. Um, number three, I would say, is some version of a hip thrust. Now, I see, once again, a lot of powerlifters, we need our glutes to play such an important role in hip extension in both coming out of the hole of a squat as well as a deadlift. Um, and I think it's an area that we definitely need to target with some accessory movement to make sure our glutes are strong enough to keep our hips and our lower back particularly injury-free. So the hip thrust is what EMG studies show us is the most effective way to activate and train our glutes. This can be done um, with a barbell or a dumbbell on both, you know, uh, as a bilateral movement. But once again, I think for powerlifters, I prefer to go for the unilateral focus and we can be doing a single leg hip thrust um, with a light weight, with a dumbbell or even just body weight. Um, fantastic rehab exercise or prehab exercise. Number four, we keep our core and our abdominals nice and strong. Now, a big argument in the powerlifting world is, oh, I brace and I train my core when I'm doing squats and deadlifts, so I don't need to do any abdominal work on the side. Now, this might be true, because absolutely, we need to brace and stabilize very, very hard with our core and our abdominals when we're doing our big lifts. However, often, our core and our abdominals can be slightly weaker than our legs, for example, which are shifting the iron. And if that is your breaking point, and that's your limiting factor when you're getting close to your 1RM, well, that's showing us that we need to be doing accessory work, okay? Um, there's 101 ways, once again, that we can be keeping our core nice and strong, but one that I really, really like for palate is a side plank. Um, so if you're not familiar, tap that into Google. There's 101 or probably a million videos on YouTube to tell you how to do a side plank one more effectively. Um, and once again, it's fantastic because it is a unilateral movement as well. And you can sort of hold yourself in a side plank, set a timer up and see how long you can hold for on your left side, compare that to your right side um, and see how close they are. And it gives you a really objective measure to improve your endurance in that lift um, or in that exercise, sorry, over time. Number five and the last one is particularly relevant to people who are doing sumo deadlifts. So I touched on briefly earlier is a lot of people with sumo deadlifts break down through their groins and their adductors or their hips because having this position where our hips are abducted requires our adductors or our groin muscles to do a hell of a lot more work. You're looking at it with a massive smile. I guess that's exercise it is. Go. It's Copenhagen. How oh, good. Absolutely. Copenhagen's <laughs> um, been a massive, massive fan of them before they were popular, I swear. I'm like that guy who listens to windy music on Triple J and then when it becomes cool, I don't listen to it anymore. Triple J's not um, cool anymore. I swear, I was, I've never liked Triple J, mate. Triple M all the way. But beside the point, I was a massive fan of Copenhagen's about, yeah, what am I, 29, 29 years ago, mate. That's when I started to like them. <laughs> Way before they were popular. Um, <laughs> For those who don't know, you can find links to the videos. It's too hard to describe on a, uh, on a podcast that you haven't heard of. They're tough. Whack it into Google, Copenhagen exercise, not the city. Um, all you can find is about city, I assume. 
Um, or you can find videos probably all over my social media at CB Physiotherapy as well. So they're your top five. Um, if you're incorporating those exercises or similar, it's going to go a long way to keeping your body safe and injury-free when powerlifting. Great list, great list. So that's a quick question. When uh, is the best time to perform some of these? If you're looking at something like a bottoms up kettlebell press, mm-hmm. is that something you're better off doing at the beginning of a workout mm-hmm. as a prehab? Um, or is it something that you should be looking at, you know, progressively overloading over time and actually using it as a, uh, an accessory movement? What for, would you yeah. go with? For the vast majority um, who aren't, don't have your really acute symptoms that we need to sort of settle down, it's better off as an accessory movement at the end of our sessions because like I said, we want to be progressively overloading these things over time to get stronger because, you know, we don't want, you know, the strength of these sort of often forgotten muscles in powerlifters, whether it's our rotator calf or our glutes or our adductors, um, to sort of plateau when the strength of our prime movers are going up, which is the whole nature of the sport. So doing it at the end of your session as an accessory and trying to overload it, I think is the most important thing. But there probably are times where people are, you know, have, a, have had a really acute episode of some sort of pain and need to be doing these type of exercises more regularly, either every day or potentially as a warm-up. Um, but I will say, if, you, if you're doing them as a warm-up, they do have their place because um, they can be activating the muscles that you need to go in and keep you safe in your lifts, but it's often going to be performed at a sub-maximal level, whereas for the long-term benefits, at the end is an accessory and overloaded like we would any other, any other movement. I like it. Your, uh, your body will thank you. Absolutely. Um, now... It's probably about all that I want to touch on today, JY. Um, if you've got anything to finish on, keen to hear it. But what I will do is I want to give a quick plug um, to JPS Education, which is the education branch of JPS Health and Fitness, who we mentioned a bit earlier in the show. Um, and in particular, they've got a course online called the Powerlifting Fundamentals Online Course. Um, it's something that I'm lucky enough to be involved in. I've got a presentation there on injury management. Um, in powerlifters, it's a fantastic course that's offered and targeted coaches, athletes um, alike, and pretty much anyone who's got anything involved in the sport of powerlifting that collaborates some of the, the best experts in the world um, to provide a really, really fantastic resource um, to really discover all you need to know about powerlifting. Um, there's lectures that include guys like Robert Wilkes, Swindon Purcell, Greg Knuckles, Jamie Smith, Brian Miner. Jacob Skeppis, Danny Lennon, just in only a few. There's a couple more that I've probably forgotten, but really some of the head-on shows and big dogs of the powerlifting world. Um, lucky enough to be included in there myself as well, the mate. Biggest dog. Um, probably the smallest dog, but that's okay. Um, if, you, if you've got any interest in, in seriously learning a lot more about powerlifting, I, um, obviously I'm biased because I'm part of it, mate, but it is a, what JPS Education do for the fitness industry is fantastic, and this course is absolutely one of their best, so um, to write that into Google and, and check them out if you like. Couldn't, uh, couldn't recommend JPS education higher i am a uh, subscriber to their um content as well it's fantastic so get on the portal and uh definitely check out the powerlifting course beautiful um i believe we've got one question on the q and i think it's a question for you mate yeah uh, we've got uh peter here who has asked your opinion on the injury management of a calf injury should you rest or continue somewhat limited exercise how soon should one return to the exercise to exercise in general and if pain is the limiting factor, how do you reset? Um, Peter, this is something I could answer in an hour or probably in two minutes. We'll try to keep it short. Um, calf injury is not super common or relevant in powerlifting, but that's okay. We're going this path anyway. For a calf muscle strain, I'm assuming we're talking about a soft tissue injury, a muscle strain in general, which is generally something we're going to get in, in running or sort of field team-based sports. Um, should you rest or continue somewhat limited exercise? Well, relative rest is always the answer over complete rest. We want to be resting as much as we need to allow 
proficient uh, tissue healing and our body's natural healing processes to occur, but completely resting you know, for extended periods of time isn't great either because our body deconditions very, very quickly. So that leads us on to the next question. How soon should one return to exercise? Well, essentially as soon as you can tolerate it. So if you've pinged a calf three days ago and you know, you're walking around and you know, it's feeling a little bit sore, you're probably not gonna go into a maximum 100 meter sprint, but if you can start to do some very light calf loading or jogging or cross training, then absolutely we should be returning as soon as possible. Um, and once again, if it is painful, that's where this can be a bit difficult and that leads us to, I suppose, the last part of this question. If pain is a limiting factor, how do you reset? Um, not quite sure what you mean by reset, but essentially with any sort of rehab, there is a lot of evidence that's, that's probably come out in the last three, four, five years that shows us that pushing through a small or a moderate amount of pain when we're doing rehab exercises or recovering from injury is actually perfectly safe and if anything can actually be beneficial rather than holding ourselves back and being completely pain free. And that's probably because, especially in this case, with any soft tissue injury, we lose strength, endurance, conditioning in the muscle very, very quickly far quicker than we gain it. And the most important aspect of rehab is to build back up our strength and conditioning and loading capacity of the muscle. So we can actually do that safely, pushing through a little bit of pain. And I generally talk, it's different for everyone. Once again, it depends. It's that catchphrase we always go to. Love it. Um, on a zero to 10 scale, where zero out of 10 is nothing at all, and 10 out of 10 is watching your team lose an AFL grand final. Um, three or four out of 10 is probably the, the maximum that we want to push through, okay? Um, if, if something's a one or two or a 10 or even a three, we can probably say, okay, it's a bit uncomfortable, we're safe to continue to push through, and we're gonna get benefits from that loading and that rehab. Whereas if it's getting to a five or six, then we probably want to say, okay, we're gonna pull that back a little bit um, because we don't want to risk interfering with that natural tissue healing response. So obviously always case dependent. Um, and if you, you know, if you do need guidance specifically, go and see an evidence-based practitioner. Nice. We've got one more question here as well. Yep. Um, this one's from Emily. So Emma's actually asked, um, she's getting into strength training. So how, uh, at what point in your lifting career do you think you are ready for a powerlifting comp? Which is a very good question. Yep. Um, the... One thing I always sort of like, I explain to people who are getting interested and, you know, getting deep into strength training is that um, powerlifting is just the expression of the strength training that you you, you are performing. It's a little bit more specific to the big three lifts. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's a fair bit more specific. Um, strength can come on any exercise. It doesn't matter whether it's a real delt fly or a front squat or, a, you know, sumo deadlift. At the end of the day, you know, the aim of training is to overcome, get stronger at these exercises. Well, the aim of resistance training. Um, so I generally say to people, there is no right time. Like you're always ready. A powerlifting comp and the fantastic thing about it is that it is to begin with the competition against yourself. A lot of people use, I've, there are some, man, some of the powerlifters that I've seen have been competing for six years now. And they don't have a coach, they go because they enjoy it and they have fun. Their goal is not to become the world's best powerlifter. They, whenever I speak to them, it's just a comparison of their last meet v this meet, and they, you know, they they are comparing themselves, and that is basically, you know, what I encourage people to use powerlifting at the start as. So, you know, long answer, but you're always ready. Like I guess, well, sorry, that's that's a bad answer. Uh, let me go back to that. There is no perfect time. It's really when, you know, you've got a hang of the three big lifts. You can squat, you can bench, and you can deadlift comfortably. Um, and you feel like you want to express that strength. Good coaches won't push people into comps. Comps will just happen when that person, you know, feels it's time to have a, track, have a crack. The one thing I'll probably add on that, 
mate, which it probably seems obvious for a lot of people in the industry, but when people look out, people think powerlifting is just a, you know going for one RMs on the free big lifts, which on competition day it is, but there is weeks and months of, I suppose, training and building up at sub-maximal levels and doing multiple, multiple, multiple reps and not actually going for one RMs in the lead up to a powerlifting competition or to test yourself um, that allows your body to have the strength and resilience and conditioning to achieve that. And it's not rocking up every single week and going, going to do a max squat today and try to add one or two kilos every single week. It's chipping away at sub-maximal levels for weeks and weeks and months and months at a time before testing ourselves again, which I think requires a lot of patience. Um, so... Yeah, that was slightly relevant to that question. No, that's a, that's a, no, a good, good add-on. Um, there's one thing that a lot of people who are deep into powerlifting, um, I guess in the evidence-based field, who may be listening today, uh, will notice that we haven't really touched on. Um, well, you touched on it slightly in your pain um, answer before, and that's the RPE scale. Um, we're not going to discuss that today. We probably should have a little bit. However, we're going to do a podcast on the RPE scale. I think in regards to training, fatigue management, and you know, general like on on your side of things, pain, RPE is the key. And at the end of the day, whether RPE it's a, for um, sorry, the rate um, the rate of perceived exhaustion. So exhaustion. exhaustion. I say that every time, mate. I just want to hear stuff about this crash. So I know you, you love that one. Don't you love throwing me under the bus? Um, at the end of the day, oh, got him. Um, at the end of the day, um, whether it's a 1RM or a 5RM or whatever it is, um, we use RPE to you know, judge the difficulty of a set. Okay? So um, when it comes to, I guess, powerlifting in general, your RPEs are quite, you know, they're a lot higher. Um, you don't necessarily have to always be lifting 1RMs. You're gonna get adaptations from you know, um, reps of anywhere, maybe not specific to the big three lifts, but anywhere between 20 plus reps um, so it's not always heavy you know singles and doubles like there is an element to that and on the day well, that's obviously what you do no one gets up there and uh, starts repping <laughs> if they did it'd be, uh, it'd be a sight to uh, I'd love to see that I'd love to see someone come out for a deadlift and just like just start repping like, that'd be crazy you're, you're that strong um, so yeah so that's um, that's something we will touch on in entirety in its own podcast but um yeah, um, mate, that's uh, beautiful. Do you have some wisdom one. for us, JY? Um, I do, I do. And this one, uh, this quote today is from uh, a good mate of mine um, and the one of the big dogs at Melbourne Strength Culture. Um, so I'm, I'm throwing a quote out to, you know, to someone who uh, listeners might know. That's Charlie Athanasiu. Um, one quote that he says a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, is that only the ego knows the number. Um, which is fantastic because when it comes to powerlifting, it comes to strength training, like I touched on before um, in regards to RPE and things, it, at the end of the day, you can get adaptations from you know almost anything. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the difficulty. If you're someone who squats 130 kilos and you're comparing yourself to someone who squats 230 kilos, that's your ego speaking. And at the end of the day, those two numbers are entirely different because it's two entirely different people. And when it comes to you know training itself, we're not always looking to lift at max. We're not always looking to absolutely annihilate ourselves. Um, and if we are, that's just not being in control of our ego. Um, and that's something that I do encourage people a lot when I see people bench pressing and it's just a dog's breakfast and it's just looking like shit. And I know, mate, you, chuck, you take five kilos off that, 10 kilos, whatever it is, you're actually gonna get some proper stimulus. It's time to put the ego in check and actually start, you know, 
training and doing things properly. So wise, Joe. Mate, I know. So we can thank Charles for that one. Uh, Big fan of the show, Charles. Uh, Thanks, mate. mate, joke of the week to finish us off. James, I've been pondering this all week. Why can't dinosaurs clap? Why can't dinosaurs clap? They're extinct, mate. They're dead. <laughs> <laughs>